0: I want to welcome all of us at uh, Center Church, those of us here at Central Campus, as well as those uh, joining us from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome our online viewers as well. Well, as it was mentioned, we had a phenomenal Christmas production last weekend, and our five worship services were packed with throngs of people. You know, we celebrate the fact that this, indeed, is the season to share the good news of Christ's coming with those around us. Christmas today in North America is a major secular holiday. The majority of our culture celebrates Christmas for whatever reason. And we are all too familiar with this commercialized, materialistic, festive holiday celebration. It's about Christmas trees, Santa Claus, candy canes, lights and decorations, giving gifts to one another. Now, I'm not a Grinch. I love the Christmas season. But after an endless set of Christmas parties, school programs, shopping, gaining some extra pounds, it can get to you. And that is why, if you're honest, with all of the excitement associated with Christmas, we feel somewhat relieved when the season is over. I came across a survey on men's attitudes about Christmas shopping, and it says it all. Apparently, many men dread holiday shopping so much that they would almost do anything else. So instead of Christmas shopping, 90% of men would choose to watch their favorite sports team lose. <laughs> you know, as an alternative to venturing into crowded malls and uh, shopping for gifts, uh, close to 40% of men would rather bake cookies. <laughs> so if your husband refuses to come shopping with you, you know what to do. Put him to work. And when asked, would you rather get a root canal or go Christmas shopping, believe it or not, over one-third of men prefer to sit on the dentist's chair. <laughs> well, this, when you know, the season of Advent is crazy. But in the midst of that, let's not forget who we celebrate this season. Let's not forget the simplicity and profoundness of God entering into our world to save us. To help us to remember our sermons in December, we'll focus on uh, Christmas through the eyes of uh, the major characters in the first Christmas story. Perhaps uh, this will help us to understand the significance of Christmas, just to be in awe of the Incarnation. Christian theologian Jay Packer called the incarnation as the greatest miracle. Now, among all things that we proclaim as Christians, this probably is the most staggering. The eternal, omnipotent God who has no beginning took on human nature without the loss of his deity, so Jesus was fully divine and fully human. This is truly mind-blowing stuff. Today, we're going to experience Christmas, the birth of our Savior, through the eyes of a key character in the story who gets the least attention. He's a quiet person. The New Testament records no words spoken by this character. He stays far from the spotlight, and before you know, he just fades away from the story. You can call him the silent, forgotten man of Christmas. He's a behind the scenes character in the grand nativity story. There's so much that we can learn from this person, from what little we read about him in the gospels. For his role may appear to be small on the outside, but it was substantial in the eyes of God. The man I'm referring to is the earthly father of Jesus. His name was Joseph. The gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke Both offer accounts of the events leading up to Jesus' birth. But there are striking differences between the two Gospels, and that is because the Gospel of Luke tells the story from Mary's perspective, and this is the popular one, but the Gospel of Matthew gives us this Christmas story through the eyes of Joseph. The text that we are going to look at today is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Would you please stand as we read this together? This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Lord, we thank you for being faithful to your promises. That you are a God who keeps your word. That, Lord, in accordance with your promises, you brought Jesus into this world. And we thank you for the faithfulness of the people that we read about in the Christmas story and the roles that they played. And even as we look into the life of Joseph, we pray that you will speak to us afresh, that you will cause your word to come alive in our hearts, that through Joseph's example, our own faith will be encouraged and strengthened, and we will also model that example of faithfulness in our own lives. So we commit this time to the leading of your spirit. Come and minister to us. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. One of the challenges in understanding the Bible today is the cultural gap that exists between the biblical world and the world that we live in today. Most Christmas plays or dramas or movies in North America are nothing but a rendition of the Christmas story through our own cultural lens. and They often fail to reflect the true biblical narrative. Those of us who grew up in another part of the world have an advantage when it comes to understanding the cultural context of the Bible. Because I see striking similarities between the biblical world and the culture I grew up in. For instance, in India, over 90% of marriages are arranged. The family plays a dominant role in choosing who you're gonna marry. In my own personal family, an extended family, almost 99% of marriages were arranged. Now, I fall under that one-person category. I was guilty of breaking the family norms. But my sister and her husband were introduced to each other through known sources. Uh, They met uh, one day at the end of their, uh, you know, for their first face-to-face conversation. And at the end of that very first conversation they had, uh, they decided that they're going to get married. And that is not insane. It is perfectly normal in that part of the world. And sure enough, they've been happily married for close to 12 years. Now, I'm not advocating for arranged marriages, although I must admit, now that we have a baby girl, the idea of arranged marriage seems really appealing to me. (laughs) If you look at ancient Israel, it was a similar society in which all they knew was arranged marriages. Parents and family members made the decision on behalf of their children on whom they will marry. Now let me give you some contextual information that'll help us to understand our Bible passage. Our text tells us that Mary was uh, pledged to be married to Joseph. They were betrothed. A betrothal is different from our Western understanding of engagement. Uh, Joseph did not take Mary out to the mountains, go down on his knees, and propose to her. Betrothal was a public ceremony, and a betrothed couple were referred to as husband and wife, even though they did not stay in the same house or involved in any physical relationship. And you can't just change your mind and call off a betrothal. It was a formal contract. Breaking this was equivalent to a divorce. The official marriage ceremony took place usually a year after the betrothal. So here you have two teenagers, Mary and Joseph, Following the predictable norms of their culture, betrothed to each other, and getting ready to be married. Our best guess is Mary was about 13 or 14 years old, and Joseph was about 18 years old. Now, keep in mind, this is an arranged marriage. They haven't dated for months, they didn't know each other very well. All their interactions would have been very minimal in a public setting. Now, an unexpected disruption would turn their world completely upside down. Mary was pregnant. Our text tells us in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. This was a miraculous conception without involving a man. Now, we understand what actually happened here when we read the Gospel of Luke. For Luke tells us the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary with the announcement that she was going to conceive through the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle. It had never happened before in history, and I can guarantee you it will never happen again. And Mary, this young teenage girl, could have responded to the angel, can I check with Joseph, please, and get back to you? That would have been a reasonable response. But instead, hers was a resounding yes. Mary said yes to God's plan for her life and left all the consequences in God's hands. There was no angelic appearance at this time to Joseph. So he was totally unaware that Mary was pregnant, Now, the Gospel of Luke tells us that after the angelic appearance, Mary immediately goes to her relative Elizabeth's house and remains there for three months. So it's when Mary returns back to Nazareth after three months that the people of the town realize that she was pregnant. Now the language of the Bible text seems to convey Mary didn't tell others that she was pregnant, but she was found to be pregnant. Into her fourth month of pregnancy, you could see the little bump. And someone asked a question, which you should never ask a woman, even if it is really obvious. Are you pregnant? And again, you know, when you consider the cultural context, I'm not surprised that Mary was silent all along. How could Mary ever share this news with Joseph? It's not that they had a Starbucks where they hung out on a regular basis and they talked privately. They hardly had any interaction, and even if they had, it was in public. So I don't think she even had the opportunity to share this with Joseph. And even if she did, is he going to believe that story? Joseph finds out finally that his fiancée is pregnant. I want you to picture yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. The one you're going to marry is pregnant, and you know you're not responsible for it. And worse, she claims that she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Ah, how convincing is that? not only is your fiancé morally questionable, but you have to question her mental well-being as well. (laughs) So here you see Joseph wrestling with this for a while. The only logical explanation here was Mary had been unfaithful to him. Clearly, he did not believe Mary's version of the story, for he had made up his mind to divorce her did you see what the text tells us about Joseph? This is very important. Verse 19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Joseph was a righteous young man. He lived in conformity to the law. He held on to the law of Moses uncompromisingly. So as a righteous person, he did not eat unclean food. He went faithfully to the synagogue. He observed the Sabbath and he memorized large portions of the Torah. As a young man, he was a model. Someone looked up to with respect in the society. He came from a good family. The family were descendants of King David. So this respectable young man had a horrible dilemma. What to do his pregnant would-be bright. His feelings were hurt. I'm sure he felt betrayed. Hurt usually gives way to anger. How could she possibly do this to me? How could she just dash all my dreams of raising a happy family? All Joseph had to do to take revenge was to tell others what had happened. For Mary could have been stoned on charges of adultery. As Joseph wrestled inwardly, he basically had two options. Take Mary as his wife, even though in his opinion, she was unfaithful, that would mean everyone will assume that he was responsible for the pregnancy. And The second option was to go with what the law says and divorce her. Joseph was a righteous, law-abiding man, so he couldn't take Mary as his wife. But because he was a compassionate man, rather than putting Mary to public disgrace and shame, he decided to divorce her privately. Instead of dragging her to the marketplace and making this a public issue, he chose the other path of terminating the betrothal secretly in front of two or three witnesses. Now that shows something about the character of the man God was going to entrust his son to. God was not going to allow just anybody to raise his son. He handpicked the parents. And Joseph's compassion certainly had an influence on Jesus who was also known for his compassion. See, this is the man whose imprint will be on Jesus. This is the man who will teach Jesus the laws of God and model it for him. The Christmas story also speaks of God's timely intervention for he was actively involved behind the scenes. In fact, I don't know of any other period in history where God was as active as in the Advent narrative. There are five dreams or angelic appearances in just two short chapters in Matthew. Joseph had made up his mind to divorce Mary, but God intervened at the precise time to help Joseph see Mary's innocence. God could have come through earlier, and that would have saved Joseph from mental anguish and sleepless nights. Interestingly, the Bible is silent on Joseph's emotions it is pretty obvious that this must have been a heart-wrenching time for Joseph. But God deliberately allowed him to struggle for a season before he stepped in to make all things right. And this is often how God works. Have you ever felt your hopes and dreams being dashed? Are you going through a season right now where you cannot make sense of what is happening in your life? There is hope, hear me. While Joseph was struggling the most with his life circumstances, something incredible was happening inside Mary's womb. The Savior of the world was being knitted and formed inside of her. God was orchestrating his greatest salvation right in the midst of Joseph's excruciating struggle. Joseph thought that was the end, while from God's point of view, this was just the beginning of his grand salvation story. Sometimes in life, we don't always see, but in the midst of the heartbreaking experiences of life, Unknown to us, God is orchestrating a miracle. When everything in your life seems to come to a dead standstill, God is busy at work creating new pathways. While your dreams may have appeared to be dashed, God is unfolding his plans that are far better than yours. While you feel life is spinning out of control, God's got it all, nothing ever takes him by surprise. Joseph's struggle was meant to prepare him for the critical role that he had to play in God's great plan. And in the same way, when the difficult times come in your life, remind yourself, this is a season of preparation for what is about to unfold in my life. Think about this. If Joseph had walked away from this marriage, left Mary as a single mom, he would have missed out on so much. Joseph walked in obedience to God. And when you walk in obedience, you will be left with no regrets. Look at verses 20 and 21. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. A number of things were set right as a result of this divine intervention. The angel reminds Joseph of his messianic lineage by calling him son of David. He explains to Joseph that Mary had not been unfaithful and that her child had been supernaturally conceived. He commands Joseph not to be afraid, but to go ahead and marry her. And Joseph was entrusted with the task of naming this child. In the ancient Middle East, the father is given the task of naming, and that is a sign that the child belonged to him. And when Joseph named the baby Jesus, Jesus legally became Joseph's son and was adopted into this Davidic lineage. We often talk about the enormity of Mary's sacrifice, but let's not forget So was Joseph's. It was a costly decision to adopt Jesus as his son. Joseph, however, acted with urgency to God's command, and he responded with unquestioning obedience. So verses 24 and 25 tells us, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And when you read about the story surrounding the Advent narrative, it is fascinating that when the angel, (coughs) excuse me, when the angel appeared to Zechariah and talked about the birth of John the Baptist, that they will have a baby even though his wife was beyond the age of childbearing, Zechariah questioned, how can this be? when Mary received word that she was going to have a baby, her first response was, how can this be? But when the angel spoke to Joseph, he doesn't ask any questions, but by faith, submits to God's plan. By faith, Joseph married Mary as per God's instructions, but kept her a virgin for at least another six months. So Jesus could be born of a virgin. But talk about self-control. A newly married couple living in the same house and yet refrained from sex for six months. Oh yes, they made up for it later and had lots of other kids, but they exercised restraint when needed. And there's a lesson here for our young people. And do you know, When Joseph married a pregnant woman, he became a lawbreaker in the eyes of the society. It was wrongly assumed by others that he was responsible for Mary's pregnancy. Now, as a result, this Joseph, who was once looked up to in his Jewish society as a righteous young man, would now lose face He will no longer serve as a model, but as a byword. It would have affected his business as a carpenter. He would have been treated as a second-class citizen in the community. He must have been at the receiving end of so many jokes. Clearly, he would have been exempted from any leadership role in the synagogue. In a small town like Nazareth, with a population of about 2,000 people, where there were no secrets, it was a harsh place to raise a family with a questionable heritage and as far as we know Joseph lived all his life with a stained reputation there was no vindication years later when, he is a gro- when Jesus was a grown up adult and, and Joseph was long gone the stigma still remained now here's an instance at the end of a long drawn-out conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. Look at what they say. In John chapter 8, verse 41, the last part of that verse. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. With these words, the Pharisees were taking a jab at Jesus. The implication of that statement is that Jesus was conceived out of wedlock. So do you see that Joseph once and for all laid his reputation down in order to become the earthly father of Jesus. Now isn't it true in so many parts of the world, including Canada, where I have observed it personally, the cost of discipleship, the cost of inviting Jesus into your life is real. And those who come to faith in Christ from other religious backgrounds the very first thing that they have to lay down is their reputation without which they cannot be Christ followers yet another characteristic of Joseph is he never sought the center stage he played his part and walked away from the stage without drawing attention to himself He gladly took the back seat and stayed away from the spotlight. It's interesting that Joseph is mentioned just a handful of times in the Gospels. The last time you hear about him is when Jesus is 12 years old. We can only speculate what happened to Joseph. We are left with questions. We don't know how old Jesus was when Joseph died. Surely he was more than 12 years old, perhaps a young adult, when it happened. Now, I think it is okay to use our imagination and reflect on Joseph's influence on Jesus. You know, my prayer as a father, imperfect as I am, is to be a model to my children. I take it very seriously, for if I don't model the faith for my kids, who else will? And I believe in, with all my heart, the role that dads have to play in the shaping and development of a child's faith. It's irreplaceable. Don't tell me Joseph did not have a profound influence on Jesus. Yes, Jesus was God, but he was also human, who grew in wisdom and stature who went through the ordinary process of physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual development. Just as surely as God chose Mary to be the mother of the Messiah, he also chose Joseph. God the Father chose Joseph to be a father figure and a model to Jesus. Joseph is called a carpenter and so was Jesus. The word could mean a woodworker, craftsman, or possibly even stonemason. Now, where did Jesus learn this trade? He didn't do a diploma in carpentry and say it. Like all other boys of his time, Jesus learned the trade from his dad. Can you picture Joseph sitting in his shop and teaching Jesus how to use the tools. What word did Jesus use to call God the Father? He taught us to pray Abba, Father. You know, it was unthinkable in those times to refer to God in such intimate terms. And yet, that's the word Jesus would have used to call Joseph all the time. As a little boy, Jesus saw in Joseph a picture of the love and character of God the Father. I can talk all day about a dad's protective instincts. Thanks to years of playing cricket in school, I have excellent reflexes and I'm really good at catching a ball. Little did I know that uh, as a dad, that skill will come handy to catch my kids when they fall. You know, I've lost count of how many times I've saved them from real disasters, from sprawling on the floor of the couch or the dining table. It has happened so many times. So my children's head and body are intact. I have to take credit for it. (laughs) Now, how many times Joseph would have saved Jesus from getting hurt? Isn't it ironic that Jesus, who holds the whole world in his hands, was held in Joseph's hands because he needed protection? If you read the book of Matthew, Joseph received another dream where he is warned to flee to Egypt with his young family because the life of Jesus was at risk, and they fled as refugees to a foreign country. God did not just give supernatural protection to Jesus. He entrusted that responsibility to Joseph and he did an excellent job. Joseph had the most important assignment to teach Jesus to be a man. And I'm sure they had several meals together and shared many loves as father and son. They read and recited scripture together. They sang the Psalms together as a family. Joseph played an important role in Jesus' spiritual development. And he did all this without recognition, without the praise of others. He played a quiet role because God entrusted his son in Joseph's hands to look after him. When I do child dedications here in our church, I remind parents your children don't belong to you. God is the ultimate owner. You are stewards and he is entrusting them to you for a season to shape and mold them. One of the biggest crises in our society is missing fathers. The absent dad syndrome is causing absolute chaos in our society. Almost every major social problem can be traced to this syndrome and yet we continue to dismiss the role of a dad in a home. And here, Joseph offers an exemplary model to our generation of the role dads have to play in the spiritual development of their children's lives. Joseph might have died early, not sure when, but his influence on Jesus remained all through his life. I hope we no longer see Joseph as just a quiet character who stands by the nativity scene without saying a word. His small role was pivotal in God's redemption story. In his compassion, his obedience, his willingness to risk his reputation, and in his model as a father, Joseph stands tall. And we learn from Joseph that there are no insignificant roles in God's kingdom. God uses ordinary people to change this world. The key is not to write your own script for your life, but to submit to his like the way Joseph did. To walk in obedience to his plans and play our little part in God's grand story is all that God requires of you and me. going to ask us to stand as we come to an end. As I was thinking about how to end the service, I felt the Lord... uh, prompted me to talk to those of you here who are struggling with a major decision in life. A big, life-altering decision. It may It be to do with a career move, whom you're going to marry, an important decision that will affect your family. If there's any encouragement for you today, it's to know that Jesus is Emmanuel, a God who is with us And God continues to intervene in our day-to-day lives. So you can ask God for divine guidance and know that as long as you're willing to obey his promptings, he will guide you. And a true believer will not miss out on God's best for their life. So let's maintain a moment of silence, just close our eyes and reflect on what we've heard and receive the challenge that God has brought to us today. After a moment of silence, I'll close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for the example of Joseph, how he was entrusted with a specific calling to be an influence in the life of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I know that each one of us have a responsibility that you have entrusted to us, that each of us, as we play our part, collectively you use it to advance your kingdom and your agenda for our world. So we pray for faithfulness on our part, that we will faithfully steward the resources you've given to us, the gifts and talents, that we will take it very seriously to influence our family in the ways of God, to pass on the legacy of faith to our children, that they will be shaped and molded to follow you faithfully, that the next generation in our church, oh God, will be a generation of faith of uh, young people committing to follow you wholeheartedly. Lord, today I want to pray, especially for those of us here who are wrestling with a major life-altering decision. God, you promised to offer us guidance. So I pray that as you guide them, that they will have the courage to obey you, to follow your promptings for their life. We pray that for all of us. Give us courage to obey that we will walk faithfully even during the season of Christmas in sharing the good news of Jesus' coming with those around us. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen.